I love watching people walk in scared shitless, like peeing their pants. Like it seems impossible. I'm going to write a book in three days. And then literally three days later, we're toasting with champagne and they are in hysterics because they have (laughs) done something they've wanted to do for 10 years. I'm Dave Buda, and this is Darken the Page, the weekly show about writers and their creative process. Today, I'm talking with author and writing coach Angela Loria, and this was a fascinating conversation in so many ways. She talks about how she got started as a writer by researching the CIA and then got involved with what I'm calling the underground freelance writing network for the mafia. Uh, It's a good story, trust me. She helps people write books, and she does... She helped people write certain types of books in three days, which I think is totally awesome and insane, the idea of writing a book in three days. So I was fascinated to ask her more about this process. What I learned about it is there not all types of books can be written in three days, but she works with a lot of nonfiction authors, a lot of people who are experts and want to get their expertise down in a book. And she helps them do that in three days. And some of the lessons that she's learned from doing that really apply to all writers very fascinating conversation i was even thinking so we had a guest steve windsor on in episode 11 he he has a book on how to write a novel in nine days and it's sort of starting to feel like uh like seven minute abs or something you know with uh steve saying nine days angela saying three days somebody else is gonna have to come out and say how to write a book in two days and maybe 90 minutes i don't know but she sells, um, she sells me on Barcelona and, and how awesome it would be to go to Barcelona. I think I'm literally planning a trip there. It sounds amazing. Um, and I just enjoyed this conversation so much. I actually forgot to ask the last question that I always ask at the end of these shows. And it's mostly because the end of our conversation is so fascinating. And I was so caught up in what she was saying and just digging it that I, I just I didn't miss it because it was really beautiful. She talks a lot about what she refers to as her inner author, and you'll love it. Make sure you check out our sponsor, 99designs. If you want to see the design contest I ran to have this podcast logo designed, you can go to darkenthepage.com slash 99designs, and you'll see all the different artwork, uh, some of the stuff that got accepted, some of that got rejected, and it's kind of a fascinating thing to see. And if you want to run your own design contest, you can click the link there and uh, it's an affiliate link. So the show will benefit. It's a nice way to support the show. And I totally encourage you to check out 99designs. It will not be the last time I use them. So if you want to have, send me any feedback, as always, you can reach me at darkenthepage at gmail.com. I'm really excited about bringing you this episode. Here she is, Angela Loria. So tell me a little, so, you know, one of the, we mentioned how early you got into this stuff. You started actually helping other people is it in college. And so yeah. was that something you always saw yourself doing or how did you get into that? So I did a journalism degree and I always, um, I actually wanted to be a political reporter. So my degree, I'm, I'm from Washington, D.C., and my degree was in political communications, political journalism, mm-hmm. and just assumed that I would, you know, work at the Washington Post or something and, and be a shoe leather reporter. Mm-hmm. And one of my professors during spring break of my senior year introduced me to a, a very successful journalist um, who actually had uh, a famous book uh, about the CIA that sort of he was it was he's an amazing journalist amazing investigative journalist and so I was hired as a I don't know spring break college intern sort of thing Mm -hmm. um, to work with him on a book about the Aldrich Ames espionage case so Rick Ames was a CIA spy who um, worked for the Russians and um, made 4.6 million dollars betraying his country got a bunch of people killed and I was hired as the editorial assistant. So I did fact checking and interviews and wow. taking photographs of dead drop, spo- dead drop spots and spies' houses all over DC. And it was an amazing job. What's a dead drop spot? 
Oh, so this is where um, what spies will do is if you have to get some documents to your handler, in this case it was the, the Russian uh, KGB, um, the KGB would leave uh, a signal, which was usually like a line of chalk on a, on a mailbox or on a tree. Yeah. And that would mean that the, the spot where they were going to leave the documents was going to be checked the next day. And so first they'd leave the chalk mark and then the next day the dead drop spot might be like in a park under a uh under a rock near a bench. And so the next day he'd put the the documents there in a Ziploc bag or something and then the Russian agent would come and collect them so they never saw each other. Wow. And so we had a record from from the research. We had a record of where all these dead drop spots were and all the signal spots. So I drove around D.C. and Northern Virginia taking pictures of all these spots. Like nothing was going on there now, but where spies had been. Mm-hmm. And um, and that book came out, and it was a bestseller, and it was really well respected. And I got to work. That author's name is David Wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to have lunch with him next week, and I'm so excited. Nice. But that was really how I got my start. I always loved books, but I never thought I would work in books. Um, but but David and working with him um, really turned me on to what was possible, especially with nonfiction. That's mm-hmm. really where my passion is. Yeah. And why do you think that is? I mean, a lot of um, – I noticed that you do have a real uh, – like nonfiction is a big thing for you. Um, have you ever mm-hmm. gone into fiction at all or why, why nonfiction? I mean, I, I read fiction occasionally. Like I try and make myself read a couple novels a year just so I'm not <laughs> totally boring in cocktail parties. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, you talk about so the dead drop read... spots and I think that you don't have to, you'll, you'll never be boring at cocktail parties, you know? Oh, that's good. Got that covered. <laughs> <laughs> that's better than fiction. Uh, I mean, come on. So I did a PhD in postmodern philosophy, and I spent about five years reading Kierkegaard and Wittgenstein and uh, Heidegger pretty much morning, noon, and night. When I was doing my PhD, I was reading like a 300-page densely packed philosophy book every day. Wow. And so I got really good at reading dense information quickly and learning how to use it, at least in terms of writing papers for grad school. Yeah. As a skill um, I do not have. <laughs> so the yeah. opposite. <laughs> I am an extremely fast reader. And in fact, that's actually, I think, why I don't read fiction as much is it requires me to really slow down. Mm-hmm. So I can pretty easily read two books a day. But if I'm reading fiction, it might take me a week to read it, which mostly annoys me. So if I'm reading fiction, I usually take two days off work so I could like read it in one sitting. Wow. <laughs> no, like, so wait. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> huh. I'm a big fan of marathon TV viewing as well, I think for the same reason. And as I've, as I learned from researching you, um, you're a big fan of marathon writing as well, it sounds like. So it seems I like am. you just do everything. You're just a streaky kind of person or like a binge, your binge streaky. liver or something. Um, what is, so what's, so you, and you have this write a book in three days thing. So you're, that's, that's clearly a, a binge type activity, right? I mean, how, was that something that you just felt like I have to do this because I, I'm a bingey kind of person or is this something that you, cause you teach others to do this too. So tell me about that. Right. So Three Days to Done came out of the fact that I had worked with, at that point, um, about 100 authors. And one of the things that I have them do is catalog their actual writing hours. Yeah. And what I realized is most of my authors were spending around 20 hours, somewhere between 16 and 24 hours, writing their book. And then there was a whole bunch of other general, activities. Like, like for the entirety of the book or per week or? No, the entire book, the wow. actual writing was about 16 to 24 hours. Now there's other stuff. So there's rewriting, there's editing, yeah. there's, you know, planning. Playing with the cat. You know, you know. <laughs> We're playing with your cat. There's folding your laundry. There's yeah. a lot of other things. But the actual writing time I realized was only about 16 to 24 hours. Uh-huh. And I wanted to test 
if we had, I have a, um, so I have this uh, 10, 10 step process that I teach people to write a book and the first six steps are not writing. So step number seven is where you start writing. Uh -huh. And so my theory was if you do steps one to six and you do them really well, could you sit down and in three days or basically in 24 hours, could you write a book? And I did it and it worked pretty well and I was pretty happy with it. And mm -hmm. then I started running just some like test retreats, doing it with other people. And what I noticed is the books are in some ways easier to edit because the author doesn't evolve during the writing process as much. Mm. So with our authors who take three months or six months or nine months to write a book, and even when I've taken that long to write a book, and most of the books that I've taken that long on have been ghostwriting. So I've ghostwritten about a dozen books. And I'm so different at the end of the book after a year of working on it. I understand the topic so much more. Like I'm a completely different person that I end up going back and rewriting the whole book because now I'm like, oh, now I know a much better way to explain this or that. Oh, this is so true. Sort of somewhat depressing so, when I hear this because I'm like, oh, I totally do this. <laughs> yeah, because you're changing. And then there's other issues we have just with our editors like, our authors have a good week and they sit down and they write and, you know, everything's fine and the kids are away at sleepaway camp and, you know, nobody's sick and there's no crisis. And then the next week they're writing and just stuff's going down. The kids are interrupting them. The hot water heater goes and their voice changes. Like even though we do work with them mm -hmm. to make sure their voice is consistent, there's just stuff going on in their life and that energy comes through. Mm -hmm. And when I lock you in a mansion, so we're doing the next one of these in Portland, we're doing one in Hawaii, we get these huge mansions mm -hmm. and it's like being on the real world, like MTV, whatever, Big Brother, I don't know what people watch now. Yeah, yeah. I just did it myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, me too, I get it, real world, yeah, world rules and that's about it. Like but we get like these amazing chefs, like all the food is like organic and delicious. And we have massage therapists come in and you are in this amazing location overlooking the ocean or wherever the mountains, wherever we are. Uh -huh. And there's nothing, everything's taken care of. There's nothing that's going to come in and change your voice or change your beliefs on this topic. Right. It's really locking down a point in time. Right. And I just love, I love watching people walk in scared shitless, like peeing yeah. their pants. Like it seems impossible. I'm going to write a book in three days. And then literally three days later, we're toasting with champagne and they are in hysterics because they have <laughs> done something they've wanted to do for 10 years. I totally know. I, it's so funny you said that people being scared and um, I did this thing. So I'm also a songwriter and I'm, I, put on this event called the songwriter lock-in and I've done this twice now and basically what I do is I rent a office space on a Saturday from like nine to six and I get 10 songwriters together and then we all put a hundred dollars in a bucket and you get ten dollars back for every song you write so you essentially have to write 10 songs or more and and most of the people are pretty cool with it but there's definitely some that they're like I have this one guy that he's Australian and he was uh He's like, Dave, he's like, oh, I can't do this, man. He's like, this is, this is too hard, man. Like, you can, you can. And he was really, I felt like I had to be his therapist for like 20 minutes. I'd sit with him and I said, hey, man, this is okay. And ultimately, I just said, okay, you don't have to put the money in. And he ended up writing like seven or eight songs or something like that. Um, but it was funny how some, how some people, it really does. It's, it's like straight up scary. Like for me, it's like, okay, oh, I, yeah. I guess... I just don't relate to it as it could be scary. It, it it might be hard or, but, but the fear was something that was really interesting. Uh, just, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I think that's awesome. By the way, that sounds like amazing, like an amazing event. Yeah, it's great. Um, oh, and then we play a show at the end of the night where we play ah! the new songs for other people. <laughs> of course. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. see, as you're saying that I have a background in acting Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things to do as an actor, and I've done this with film and with theater, is there's like the 24-hour theater festival and the 48-hour film festival. Mm -hmm. 
and I've made films in 24 hours and I've made plays or films in 48 hours and plays in 24 hours. And look, they're not, you know, they're probably not going to win any like, you know, awards for the best play or the best film. Mm -hmm. But knowing what you can accomplish when you're focused, like knowing you could make a film in 48 hours that would be watchable, that would get laughs, that would make some people think that would entertain people. Like mm-hmm. you could do it in 48 hours. That probably means you could do something even better in 48 days or 48 months. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just the confidence my authors leave with after 3 days to done, like they always say to me, like now now I know that half the things I'm saying I can't do. I yeah. know it's total bullshit. Saying you totally agree. That's a, that's really the the big takeaway from the songwriter luck and i mean i've written some songs during those that i still use and they're brilliant and but you know most of the stuff i write is just total crap and that's the whole point is that you know when you let yourself actually just create with no filter that some stuff comes out as crap and that's okay too and that's totally okay yeah and just doing things that you that you don't think are possible you know like i'll tell a story about how um this is embarrassing, but I did not learn how to ride a bike growing up. This is probably because I was reading or writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I started writing poetry at seven, and I was very busy doing that. And bike riding was not on the list of activities I was going to be doing in yeah. between my important poetry writing. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was 34, I decided I, I'm actually a very avid swimmer. I've done a lot of open water swimming mm-hmm. and I started running and I had done just like a local 5k in my neighborhood and I got it in my head that for my 35th birthday, I wanted to do a triathlon, nice. but the only problem was I had never ridden <laughs> a bike. <laughs> awesome. And so I hired a guy who was like a personal trainer for, for triathletes. And like I told him, I'd never ridden a bike. I don't think he really knew what he was getting himself into, like teaching a 35-year-old how to ride a bike for the first time and sort of an overweight, uncoordinated book nerd how to ride a bike for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It was not cute. Let me tell you, it was not cute. But I did that triathlon. I've done many others. If I was you know, visiting friends and they wanted to rent bikes and go for a bike ride, I can go for a bike ride. It's still not my favorite activity by any means. Yeah. I have fallen more than most people. If you go for a bike ride with me, I will fall. It will not be cute. It's usually in the middle of an intersection. That's usually pretty Um, fun though. For me anyways, as the person you'd be bike riding with, I would enjoy that. You you would I, you just have to your job is to pick the water bottles up because they go rolling usually in opposite directions. So that's after I take a picture though. Well, okay, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But doing that like hashtag book nerd on a bike. Yeah. That for me, learning how to ride a bike at thirty five was like, oh, I can actually do things that I like. I really did not think that was possible for me. Yeah. And yeah. I just think as writers, we always need to be doing things we don't think are possible because I think it changes what you write, whether you're writing nonfiction or fiction. It changes how your brain works. Oh, also, I think all writers need to go to Barcelona. Do you know my Barcelona theory? No, I don't. Have you been to Barcelona? Uh, no. I've been to okay, Spain, you're gonna but not need Barcelona. To book, you need to book tickets okay. immediately. Is this the Camino? The walk, the Camino de Santiago? No, 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 but I love the Camino. That's Santiago de Compostela. That's up there. I love the Camino walk, but this is not that. No, here's my Barcelona story. And I really, you got to go there. So Barcelona, there's a bunch of guys. They're drinking a whole bunch of, what what was it that they drank? Now I forgot the name of it. It was the hallucinogen, that green drink. Absinthe. Absinthe, yeah. Yeah. So they're drinking a ton of absinthe. I think they're doing other stuff too. I'm just saying. And they all vote themselves onto the city council. So this is like Gaudi and Dolly and these like amazing creative artists. And they're like, we'll be on the planning and zoning commission. It'll be awesome. Yeah. And so they build this city. And the city is filled with what I call melting balconies. So Hmm. it's just like a regular 
everyday apartment building, just like you'd see in New York or DC or San Diego, but the balcony will be melting off the side huh. or the colors will be like some sort of hallucinogenic candy corn maze. And throughout the whole city, there are these like Escher like staircases and the thing that I believe about Barcelona and why I think every artist needs to spend time in Barcelona is that if you grew up there with the idea that buildings are not squares or rectangles, mm -hmm. but they're whatever you want them to be, mm -hmm. and that parks aren't neatly manicured, you know, terraria, but they're these wild, twisting patches with surprise like gingerbread houses tucked behind them or that staircases weren't just used to go up and down stairs, but that they could be there to make you think and contemplate who you were on the planet. I mean, the La Sagrada Familia, the, um, the cathedral in Barcelona that Gaudi built, you mm -hmm. can play the motherfucking building. It is a musical piece. You can actually play the architecture in that building. Wow. It was composed synesthetically. It's amazing. And anything you look at adds up to 33. Like the, the stuff he does with numbers and math. Wow. Like you think it's architecture or a place to like go to church. But it's a place to reshape the neural pathways of your brain of what's possible. And I guarantee you, if you go to Barcelona, you will write some crazy shit that you didn't even know you could think of. That's amazing. So I want to ask a question about um, more of the, the, the process and and the things that you've discovered and share with people. Um, as I look at your podcast feed uh, for Page Up, which for those listening um, is a wonderful podcast and I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I see that you don't have any episodes on coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what, when our authors sign up to work with us, the first thing we do is we send them a mug that says free your inner author and then we send them a pound of Difference Press Roast. So yeah. we worked with a tiny coffee company to brew our own special roast for, for authors. And you get a mug and a pound of Difference Press Roast Writer's Fuel. Just, nice. just for signing up to work with us for a good reason. So there's a, com there's a coffee company that, that makes like a brand of coffee for writers. And that it's called... Well, we, we invented it with them. So we um, brewed our own roast that we call the Difference Press Roast. Well, now you've got a podcast sponsor right there. I mean, come on. Right. Um, oh, my God. I messed this all up. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. I mean, what, so what's different about it? Is it like laced with cocaine or what's in it? That's what we should do, right? <laughs> you no, know, so we, we call it Writer's Fuel, and it's, it's basically a dark roast. And I think we picked – we tried beans from like three different countries, and I think we picked – I know we tried Ethiopia, India, and I think it was the one that we picked was Guatemala. It was a South American mm. or Central American bean mm -hmm. that I felt like from my vast experience of coffee and writing that it was the appropriate one to increase word count. I, I think we're going to put that on the bag. Increases word count. Yeah. So I want to ask about you as a ghostwriter. You had mentioned that and you said you've, you've ghostwritten a lot of books. Um, are you, are you a ghostwriter that like you can't say your name or you, you do it like in secret or how does that, and how is well, that, how's that process been? I'm not a ghostwriter anymore. Okay. I should say I'm not anymore, but this was my early career, cobbled together artist career. So I did, um, I directed and stage managed shows and I worked as a researcher and a photographer and I ghost wrote uh, a whole lot of books and papers and I um, spent my 20s traveling and doing all the oh and I wrote for a lot of magazines as well um, so I just kind of hacked together a career as a writer for my first 10 years writer publisher editor I, I don't know what I did a whole lot of stuff mm -hmm. um, and so I go through it but the really fun story is 
early internet back in the um, era of Usenet news groups. Um, I worked for, I'm pretty sure, a mafia-run company that used to pimp me out for $10 a page writing um, college papers, grad papers, uh, dissertations. So I've written like four or five dissertations on various topics and um, they're not all that interesting to, to be to be honest. Yeah. Um, I've written about finance in Hong Kong. I've written about SBA, um, Small Business Administration, uh, administrators, uh, a lot of political books, mafia books. So how does the, um, like the mafia was involved in like college dissertations? I'm pretty sure. I mean, that I'm sort of sure. makes no sense very... and makes complete sense in some way. Yeah. No, it was a very odd exchange that included a lot of PGP protection. Um, PGP? So I didn't. No, I never touched the money. Like, I don't know where these clients came from, yeah. but I know that I would just money would be wired to my account from mysterious places in exchange for me writing college papers. Wow. <laughs> Maybe it was like this, the kids of mafia bosses, like so they didn't um, fail out of school or something. I wrote a 20 page paper once on onomatopoeia which I have to tell you coming up with 20 pages to say about onomatopoeia, I deserve an award for. Yeah. Um, and that had to be some kid's paper. Like, wow. I don't know who that was for, but that's amazing. Yeah. I, this is fascinating. You've had in the <laughs> underground freelance mafia writing network or something. Yeah. It's all happening. People right here. Wow. What did you what did you learn about writing through that process? Because clearly that is not the easiest thing to do, like you said, with the onomatopoeia paper. Um, like how did that how did writing those things that weren't so fun inform you as a writer? Well, I learned that uh that the form is more important than the content than the content itself. Mm -hmm. So I can write about anything because I understand structure. And the structure underlies everything I do. So literally, you could give me any topic in the world, and mm -hmm. I, 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 I will say, I enjoy writing about almost anything equally hmm. because the exciting part for me is actually like structuring it and figuring out how to communicate those points and what order to communicate them in. Um, and so like researching to me is fun, like writing and structuring sentences, that's fun. Mm -hmm. And so the topic just becomes fun by kind of de facto, like mm -hmm. I just get into whatever. So that part is what I learned over 20 years. Mm -hmm. But when I released my book, uh, about it's called the difference, it's 10 steps to writing a book that matters. Mm -hmm. When I released that book, that's when I learned the most about my experience writing to date. So, you know, I've written 20 books. I've written hundreds of papers. I'm, I've written a lot. And I've never had the feeling of being a fraud. I've never been embarrassed. I've never been worried I was going to get a B because I've never gotten a B on a paper. Like, <laughs> I just like... I've always just been so confident as a writer. And when I put out my book that was really about what I had created and invented for authors, and I'd been teaching it for five years. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It was like standing naked outside in the rain. I was like, are you kidding me? This is way too much to ask for. Hmm. <laughs> because when I'm writing about Anamanapir or the Hun Dynasty or – investing in China in 1997 like yeah I'm I'm so confident in my like I can distill and present information mm -hmm. and that's totally hiding it's totally hiding for me hmm. and I think I became such a better coach for my clients about what it really means to Put yourself out there. Like I've coached people about it before, but I never really felt it. And when you write a book about writing, oh my God, talk about like feeling naked. Mm. Like I completely just felt like, well, here it is. Like gigs up. 
I've been caught, you know, like everyone's going to see that I am completely inept and, you know, I might as well just hang up my hat now. And I knew it wasn't true. I knew it was good. I knew I'd helped hundreds of people with their books, like, but there was just this overwhelming flood of vulnerability that I've never had to stand in and then be like, oh, will you write a review for me? You know, which I tell my authors to do all the time, you know, get 25 reviews in 30 days. Oh, then it was when when, when it was my turn. I was like, mm, I don't really know if I want to tell people I have a book. Mm. I would like them to secretly buy it. <laughs> that would be, you could call up the mafia and maybe can work something right. out. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, so now I, I have to know, and as you know, since we're both fans of great investigative journalism, um, and you just throw me a softball. Um, what are these things that you wrote about that had you feel so naked? You know, I think it was just, it's it, it, what I wrote about, I don't think should be so scary. Mm-hmm. I think what I said was, I am an expert on writing books, which, like, of course I am. Like, who else would be? Mm. Like, you, what do you need, 30 years of experience? <laughs> But I basically said, like, I'm an expert on writing books. I know a way to do this better than other people mm-hmm. are doing it. Mm-hmm. I have the magic elixir to get you the highest, most usable word count. Mm-hmm. You know, I took that author has the word authority in it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I took that role of author. I took the role of authority that if I'm coaching you one-on-one, I can feel confident in because I'm getting your feedback. Like you're saying, mm-hmm, that's helpful. How mm-hmm. does this sentence look? I look at the sentence. But I was just going to put that out to the world. Like I'm an expert on books. And of course I am. Like I know that in my head. Mm-hmm. But to say that in a way that if somebody wants to say, no, you're not, like – I'm making this very public that this is who I am. Yeah. Um, that to me felt more vulnerable than putting out my blog or or even putting out sales pages or, you know, by the time my book had come out, I had made, oh God, just in the five years before, I'd probably made three or $400,000. And in mm-hmm. my career, I don't know, I've probably made in 20 years, I've probably made a million dollars working on people's books in Mm -hmm. 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I started at $10 an hour as an editorial assistant, but it's a long, it's a long time that I've been doing this. So like, I know I'm an expert, but saying that felt so different. Wow. And I'm asking my clients to do that all the time. You know, like they know... Like one of my clients who I love, she has a book um, that's called Healing Psoriasis from the Inside Out. Mm -hmm. And she had dealt with psoriasis for a long time. And she came up with a really cool, like it probably took her 10 or 20 years of being miserable about the situation with her skin. And she tried every diet and she tried every, you know, hypnosis and she tried everything. And she created a plan. And it included, you know, diet and exercise and it included um, EFT or tapping and meditation. And Mm -hmm. it was a whole multi-step routine that she created that worked for her. And she'd had, you know, a couple dozen clients come to her with psoriasis and she'd work them through this and she knew this system worked. But for her writing this book and saying to the world, like, yeah, I know that there are dermatologists out there and I know that there are, you know, psoriasis nutrition experts. Like there are people who are actual experts. Um, but I'm I'm just a girl who's like figured this out and now I'm going to call myself a an expert on psoriasis. To stand in that power, it's a lot that we like ask for mm-hmm. from authors mm-hmm. to like really own that. And you can't sort of write a book and half have the solution. Like, I want you to read this book, but I don't think it'll work. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to really know and believe that what you're doing will work. And I watch my authors change, not just because now they have more clients, which they do, but because they've really accepted who they are. They've accepted this part of their, um, 
you know, this, this part of themselves that is an expert. Mm-hmm. And so I watch them change in so many ways that go beyond the book. Like so many of my authors lose weight, end up getting into amazing relationships. Um, I've had a couple people that like rekindled high school relationships um, during the writing process. Like they start making money in their business in a way they haven't before. And it's partly because of the book, but a lot of it's because they're accepting who they are and they they're accepting their like awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Have you considered doing a writing retreat in Barcelona? <sighs> no, but I just did. I, <laughs> I just mean, considered it right now. Did you feel that? <laughs> I felt it. Uh, I mean, you know, you go to Hawaii and Portland, clearly you're traveling a little bit, you she know, might as well coming up in June. So, um, I mean, if so you're, I'm if your enthusiasm for Barcelona is anywhere near what it seems like, I would believe that that would be an easy sell. Yeah. How did that not get on the list? I don't know. We had a, we had a big list of, of hot cities we wanted to visit because really the writer, where we do these writers workshops, it is about the energy of the place. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I love New York. I don't think I could do this. I, I love DC. I don't think I could do the event in DC even. Mm-hmm. Um, we get these like amazing large houses. We live together the whole time. You're, you're, we're definitely sleeping and we take breaks for, you know, meals and dance parties and it's mm-hmm. super fun, but yeah. it's a really intense experience. And I think the, the, I think the location makes a big difference. So where do you where do you draw the line for yourself between the or 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 do you let these worlds collide in a sense but the artistic expression and and then doing something for a business goal let's say Yeah, I don't let these worlds collide. So, I define good. So, step number 3 in my 10 step process is called um frame your outcome. This is basically just the same step that um, Stephen Covey teaches, start with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And I start with all of our books with what does success look like? And good, your book is good if you get that. We start with the outcome. And Mm -hmm. if you get that outcome, then your book was good. And what would be like an example of a, a typical outcome for that? $10,000 from coaching clients within 30 days of releasing the book. Okay, nice. That's my typical client. So most of my clients are coaches. Most of them want between 10 and 20 clients a month. (laughs) Most of them would charge a client between $500 and $1,000 a month. And so we want to create a book that's going to generate for them with minimal effort by writing the right book and setting it up properly, $10,000 a month in revenue from clients that are reading their book. So most of our books will sell two to 300 copies a month. And then from those two to 300 copies, you might get 20 to 30 inquiries. Mm -hmm. And then that usually leads to five to 10 clients. Mm -hmm. And so if you have typos and you get $10,000 a month, your book was good. Great. If you didn't follow proper grammatical rules and you get $10,000 a month, you still win. <laughs> that's how we're defining good. Nice. Now, that's obviously we're taking as table stakes that you have an awesome solution that changes people's lives, you know, that's helping people, mm-hmm. that you love doing it, that they're getting a lot out of it. That's all table stakes. I don't accept people that don't meet that criteria. Right. Um. I had a great guy who he he called me and he was like, I really want to work with you. I have the perfect book. Like I've read all your stuff. I've read your book. He's quoting back to me stuff that I'd said on podcasts. I was like, oh, that was who said that? Yeah, smart. (laughs) You did. And and his deal was that he was a this is his word, not mine. He was a gigolo. Uh-huh. And what he had learned is how to have a more financially lucrative gigolo business. 
Uh-huh. And how to target like older and heavier women who would be more likely to pay more mm-hmm. and where you could advertise for them. And he like laid out his whole plan to me and dude, that book would have worked. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to pass on that one, mm-hmm. but you sound awesome. Like, like totally like nicest guy in the world. Talk to me like a businessman. He had his book ready to go and it just like. Yeah, I don't think I want to. I don't think I want to publish the Gigolo manual, how to mm-hmm. improve your Gigolo business. <laughs> so tell me about your artistic side. Like, tell me about what when you're when you're not uh, like making it rain on the pages. Um, like, what sort of stuff do you do, and and how do you and and you make a distinction between that. So is that something you spend maybe I more do, time on, or you you just kind of like put on some soft music and relax, like you know, take the cocaine out of the coffee? I mean, what do you do? Yeah, for me, <laughs> take the cocaine out of the coffee. <laughs> you switch for to me, the normal blend, you know, not, the, not, <laughs> right. not the writer. That's not the writer's fuel. People. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, for me, um, I write most for creative expression when I'm traveling. Uh, and not when I'm traveling for work, but when I'm actually like on vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I have like quiet space, expansive thinking space. Mm -hmm. But I know realistically, and this isn't a bad thing, but like I know that I'm, there's a lot of people who are awesome writers and I'm like a really good writer and I love writing and Mm -hmm. it's something like I enjoy, but I'm not under a delusion that, or an illusion Mm -hmm. um, that that's going to be, massively revenue generating. It's just something I do for myself. So I have a book that I've been working on. I was um, an exchange student when I was 15 in Australia. And when I was there, I thought that I should, I just told that story wrong, but I thought my host mother tried to kill me, but I found out 18 years later um, that she was actually trying to save me because she had found out that her um that my host father had molested some of the other exchange students and like i've been working on this story for a long time and i started working on it as a book and i wrote the book and didn't love how it came out and then i turned it into a one woman show mm. and so i wrote it as i rewrote it as a musical and i used songs that were already available And I performed it on my 40th birthday, which was about a year and a half, two years ago, two years ago now. Sorry. Um, And then what I'm doing is I'm taking that musical, which I really like the structure of it. And I'm rewriting. I just learned how to write songs um, for my 39th birthday. Mm -hmm. I took music theory and music lessons because I did this musical that I sang in. And learned how to write songs. And now I'm like rewriting that show, but writing my own songs. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a project I have going, but it's not like I would ever do that in a weekend. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that I set, you know, I set goals for and I work on because it's fun and it feels like eating chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what if, what, and what have you learned about in that space on how to, um, you know, because because you have a lot of really good things to say about about the like the let's just call it the book with an outcome in mind. Um, and what are some what are some tips or things you've learned that have made you really happy or enjoy that chocolate even more? That kind of stuff. Getting really clear on who I'm, who my audience is, I think, is the most important thing. And I teach this, um, but I do it. This is like my religion with if I'm writing a Facebook post, like it doesn't matter what I'm writing. Everything I do, I think of as a love letter to one person. I really do. And it gets me into trouble sometimes because I say things like in a love letter, you're pretty intimate. And so and I'm very, um, I don't know, forthcoming. (laughs) Um, Like I share a lot of details about my life and I'm very open Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I approach everything as like, this is a love letter and I'm going to give it to you straight from my heart. Mm. 
And, um, and I'm just, I, for me, I'm very transparent and I'm very comfortable with that. Um, but I think knowing your boundaries is really important as a writer. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, ha- I happen to be really transparent and that works for me. But I think if you were trying to be transparent, it really wouldn't work. What's the difference so, for you between that trying and being it? Um, here's the thing. I think the, and so Ina Mae Gaskin is a very famous midwife. And she talks about how the energy that goes into getting the baby in you is the energy that goes into getting the baby out. Mm-hmm. And what she's really talking about is it takes sex to make a baby. And then if you want to go into labor, it really helps to have sex. <laughs> Just newsflash for people who didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how I feel about books. The energy that goes into the book is actually what's going to come out of it. So I have two philosophies for my life. And the creative project I told you about, this is the point of that creative project. So the two things are there's no such thing as truth. And communication is impossible. Ooh, I like those. It's very zen, I feel like, those two. (laughs) Postmodern philosophy, PhD. It comes through from time to time. Yeah. Um, But if you go into a project with hesitation or you're doing what you think you should or you heard on Darken the Page this was a good idea, so you're going to do it. The content that you're producing will come through for sure. Mm -hmm. But 80% or 90% of what will actually come through are your thoughts and feelings. The energy that goes into your book is the energy that comes out. Mm -hmm. So you think you wrote a book about, you know, how to do macrame or whatever you think your book is about. But it's really about the energy that you brought into that. So this is some of the Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But what I really think happens is that there is, there. I really do believe there's no such thing as truth. We all have our own truths. We all have our own, it's hermeneutics is the word in philosophy if you want to look it up. But Uh we all have our own perspective and we get what we get. And any attempt to communicate is going to fail. And so we think writing is all about getting the words perfectly. Mm. But really what we're doing in any sort of writing or artistic expression is we're expressing the energy of where we are. And Mm -hmm. we're using words. That's part of it. But I know if you were doing something like you're being transparent because you heard on a podcast you should be transparent, what's really going to come through is that resistance or hesitation or embarrassment. Mm, you know, the trying to louder. be something, yeah. 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 So you can't, you can't fake it. All I think you can do is surrender to your own truth and vulnerability Mm-hmm. And then from there, know that nobody's ever going to really get it. <laughs> We're all ultimately alone. But the people who you surround yourself, whether they're your readers or your family or your friends, that the people who are surrounded by you are most interested in the act of trying to understand you. Mm-hmm. I have so much to say about this. I love I totally, I totally resonate with what you're saying, and it actually is similar to how I look at songwriting, and and this idea of nonsensical art, a nonlinear yeah. art, because it isn't the thing. It, I love that not every all communication sucks. Essentially, like the, mm-hmm. we, yeah. We, and if and if we think and if we're if we're being so precise on the level of what we're communicating consciously, to think that they're going to get it consciously. And that's just that's just a recipe for something nope. being boring, and so you know I look at it as like I'm having it when I birth a song or a, a piece of writing or anything, it's coming from a place that I didn't, I wasn't really making it up there. So let's say it's coming. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about conscious and unconscious. So it's coming from a subconscious place, and then and then I'm communicating through my conscious place. 
to somebody else's consciousness and then they experience it on their subconscious level. And I really believe that it's essentially the way that my subconscious would communicate with your subconscious. And mm-hmm. we're doing it through the words, but the words are just the street signs. And so, yeah. you know, it's like we, we get there through the street signs, but we, we're not getting to the sign. You know, we're getting to the, the church or we're getting to the beach or mm-hmm. we're getting to the forest because we have the road signs. And, and the road signs are the, are, are the words and the communications and everything. But, but to evoke a deeper feeling, it, there has to be a sense that this isn't all there is. So if, if you were to get, get weird for a second and maybe, you know, draw for some Martha Beck weirdness or something, but um, what, what, how do you experience the mystery of all this? I mean, is that something that you have your own relationship with? And, and I know that you're good at, at helping people get there and helping yourself get there. But like, what does that, what does that look like for you? Like, what, how do you experience it? Okay. So here's, I'm going to give you my, this is my weird shit. Yeah. So I am, I don't know, I think I'm an atheist, but Uh I'm an atheist who is such a fucking fan of science. Like, I think science is enough, or maybe science is God. Like, I'm not sure. So a lot of what I'm about to talk about is going to sound very, like, woo-woo and ethereal and, like, I'm, like, making stuff up, but I really have investigated the science behind this uh-huh. and so can i pause you for a second um, and say have you heard have you seen the south park episode when they when science takes over religion and they're like praise science have you seen that one no but i'm totally down <laughs> it's pretty science. funny you gotta <laughs> see it <laughs> just look look up the south park and science. like it's like south atheists or religion science or something like that anyways go it's on perfect for me it's yeah. totally perfect it's good um so yeah so here's the thing so I think in, and I'm going to explain this very woo-woo, but I can also walk you through the science of it, but go with me on the woo-woo journey. Let's do it. So I think that inside all of us, all of us who are writers, is what I call your inner author. And your inner author is the part of you that has already finished this book, whatever your next project is. Mm. And so I don't actually believe in the time-space continuum. I think it's a handy-dandy construct that we've come up with. And so your book is already written. This project is done. And the person who did it is your inner author. And you have access to your inner author. And you also have the ability to block off your inner author. And so I like to teach people, this is sort of Jungian here, Mm -hmm. but I like to teach people that your inner author is basically a seven-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. And anything that you want to do to make yourself right, you have to think of as inviting a seven-year-old kid. So for instance... If I had, there was a seven, if I'm seven and I want to play with another seven-year-old kid and I knock on the door and I say, can Johnny come out and play? And I'm holding an Uzi, Uh like Johnny may want to come out and play, but his mom is not going to let him. Right. If outside the door is like a landmine field and his leg is going to get blown off, he's probably not coming out there. Yeah. If I say hey, Johnny, do you want to come out and play? And Johnny says, yes, but I want to play trucks. And I say, well, you can only come out if you play Barbies. <laughs> right. Johnny is probably not going to want to come out and play there. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. I can probably get Johnny to play Barbies with me if I play trucks with him first. Mm-hmm. So I believe that our job as an author, as a creator, is to nurture our relationship with our inner author like we would nurture a relationship with a Mm seven-year-old. And that means if you are mean and nasty to that seven-year-old, they are not going to want to play with you. If you are inviting them out to be tortured, they're not going to want to play with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to like abuse them, they're not going to want to play with you. So how do you develop that relationship? So to me, the most important thing that you can do, even more important than word count, is when you sit down to write, 
this takes two seconds. Mm -hmm. Check in with your inner author on where you are on what I call the author feeling state scale. Mm -hmm. So it goes negative 10 to positive 10. Mm -hmm. Negative 10 or anything in the negative spaces, you're not writing. Right. And you've been thinking of this as a bad thing, like writer's block or procrastination or lazy. Like you're thinking, I'm not writing. It's because I suck. Mm-hmm. Well, that's basically going to Johnny's house, knocking on the door and saying, you're a jerk. Do you want to come out and play? I hate you and you smell. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or like entering entering Johnny in like a in like a child modeling competition when he doesn't want to be in it, you know. Right. I think exactly. of those like those parents that like enter their like sweet little daughter in like a modeling competition and it's like you better win, honey. <laughs> right. I'll yeah. love you if you win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you're in a negative author feeling state, I want you to see it as curious. Like, oh, I wonder why Johnny doesn't want to come out and play. Like maybe Johnny doesn't like Barbies. Like whatever. I want you to just be curious about that and to call that creativity. So that is your process. So let's say what you do when you're not writing is you dick around on Facebook. And yeah, how you did know, you know? Not, I, you... not that I would ever do that, <laughs> but let's just say right. what a lot of people want to say is like, I waste time on Facebook. Like I'm a failure. I'm not working on my book. But if you turn that around and you said, oh, one of the ways I work on my book is that I dick around on Facebook for two hours. Mm-hmm. And then once that's done... Now my inner author is ready to be freed and is ready to write. Nice. So if you did that without beating yourself up for it, you would probably only dick around on Facebook for, you know, 15 minutes or let's say an hour or whatever, but you would probably dick around a lot less. Yeah. Except what you're doing (laughs) is you're yelling at yourself about it and then your inner author doesn't want to fucking come out and play. Yeah. So good. (laughs) I just built this office in my house and, and I, and I posted, I had the, my desk is facing the door, and which is not really feng shui. I should probably be putting. And my wife goes in and she goes, "Oh, she's like, you put the desk facing the door." And she says, "Like, why don't you put it here, here, like facing the window?" And I said, "No, no, because then people can walk by and see what I'm working on. <laughs> and if I'm dicking right. around on Facebook, they don't understand that that's part of my process. And I don't want them thinking that I, you know, I'm like a just some little like bum that that doesn't actually get anything done. Because sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. You know." Right, but that's part of the process. And if you are telling your inner creator, your inner author, this is part of the process, your inner author is going to come out much faster than if you're like, you're an asshole and a failure. Well, then your inner author doesn't want to come out and play at all. Yeah. So to me, my authors, so when I, when I work with people one-on-one, they tend to generate between two and 3,000 words an hour which is crazy unheard of. And the reason they write so much is we do everything for them and with them to make their inner author safe. I think that's our most sacred job as Mm. creators is to understand and protect our inner author to remove those barriers between you and your book, which is already written. That's Mm -hmm. your only job. The writing just follows as a natural consequence. Mm -hmm. And when you can protect that space, the amount of work you will produce will blow your mind you can write 10 songs in a day yeah you know which seems crazy you like i've been trying to write 10 songs for two years now like (laughs) but but i totally get it like you could write 10 songs in a day if you let yourself if you created a safe space for that to happen yeah yeah what do you think are some of the biggest blocks like what do you think are the things that johnny's afraid of the most i'm not good enough yeah this isn't going to be good enough. I don't have enough to say. I'm going to be criticized. Uh, I'm not saying it well. It's yeah. 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 And it's always this like mysterious, like I love when I ask people this because it's like, well, who is this person? Yeah. Who is this generalized everybody? Um, I actually had a funny story once because I always say this to people. This comes up all the time. And I'm like, so who are you? Were? Like, what's the what's the worst reaction? Like who's the, what's would be the most embarrassing thing? Yeah. Like, is it a bad review on Amazon or like, who's it from? Is it your mom? Like, who is it? Then I had this one client who she said, Oh, I don't know. Like Brene Brown. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so let's just imagine. <laughs> Brene Brown. She's so sweet. 
like, right? And I was just like, and then it turned out that she had for many years worked with Brene Brown. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, let's be worried about Brene Brown. Yeah. But generally, like, let's not worry about these generalized everybody's that are out there. Mm-hmm. When you get really specific about like, what's the worst thing? What's the worst reaction by the worst person? Mm-hmm. And when you actually work through that, it's usually no big thing. Yeah. And the amount of people that you can help or entertain or inspire is so much bigger by comparison. And those are people who you can help who you like so much more. So like your old boss is going to think you were a douchebag. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, people write about, uh, I had one client who was doing heroin at work. She was like a top performing salesperson, mm-hmm. but she would go in the bathroom and she would do heroin like all during the workday. And yeah. she's like, I'm so worried about, you know, what people will think. And I'm like, is it because your mom will find out you did drugs? She's like, oh, no, no, no. My mom knows she did recovery with me. I'm like, yeah. because your kids. And she's like, oh, no, my kids are totally cool with it. They go to, you know, <laughs> Al-Anon, whatever. I'm like, I'm like, okay, so who is the person? She's like, I don't know, like my ex-boss. Like he really (laughs) likes me and he thinks I was an amazing salesperson and now he's going to find out that I was doing heroin in the bathroom. That's so funny. (laughs) I'm like, do you talk to him much? No, no, I haven't talked to him in 10 years. I'm like, are you thinking of going back there for work? No, not thinking of going back there. I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, I I used to work with this uh, psychotherapist who worked with with artists and he did this weekly – weekly meetup and he said something once which i swear i'm gonna actually take it and publish it or do something someday but we did this weekly class where we just talked about getting in the zone and we just and we and we did all these improv exercises and we pushed ourselves to the edges and lots of cool things and one day he goes you know if i were to write a book on creativity it would be the shortest book in the world it'd be it'd be two pages and the first page would say who cares and then you could list out people <laughs> who cares <laughs> And then the second page, you would say, fuck them. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's, just, that's it. That's the shortest book. It's creativity. Right? Who cares? Exactly. And fuck them. Fuck them. Exactly. <laughs> there I you go. It. <laughs> that, would, that would sum it up. And uh, I would love to, I'd love to publish that and put it in like Urban Outfitters someday or something, you know. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love the, I love the, the, metaphor or whatever you want to call it of the inner author and and what you said too i this is really sticking with me about the inner author is is knows has already seen the book complete like it's already done mm-hmm. and just that whole yeah, concept so i of, have this exercise yeah. called the creativity temple and one of the first things i do with my authors is i take them to meet their book already done i love that so love we that. go to the creativity temple you can pick up your book you can hold it your book has messages for you buried inside and you can go back to your book and ask for advice anywhere along the way. Uh, so, so like good. in my program, whenever people get stuck, you know, they come to me and I'm like, well, let's get the answer from your book because you already wrote it. So let's find out what happens at the end of chapter three. Oh, that's so good. I love that. That's By that the is- way, if anybody wants to do that, like I don't know if this is cool with you and, yeah. you know, by all means edit it out if it's not – but if anyone wants to do the creativity temple exercise, if you email me, it's Angela at theauthorincubator.com. I will mm-hmm. send you um, I will send you the creativity temple. Nice. Is it like an audio nice. or is it a written it's thing? It's an audio. Yeah. It's like a 30-minute um, meditation nice. that I take you through. And it's, yeah. Have you, it's put, that on your, have you put that on your podcast? That might be a cool podcast thing to share. I can't remember. If, yeah, it is. It's in one of them. Okay. I can't remember what episode. Yeah. It's like in show notes for one of my episodes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I'm, I, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I really enjoy it. Um, it's, they're just short and to the point and I find them really useful. The page up one. I haven't listened so to this the other is, one. If you go to, yeah, here's another way you can get it even better. If you go to the authorincubator.com slash three, that episode is called why writer's block is awesome. Okay. And if you go in the show notes, you will see the creativity temple exercise right there. Nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna link to that in the show notes too. So, but author incubator slash three. So the author incubator. Yeah. yeah. Nice. The author incubator. Yeah. I love that. Um, if I mean, out of many things, that that 
concept of going to source from the place that you that this is already finished from uh, that's a huge takeaway for me i would love that because it's like i feel like wow in a way that's kind of what i was doing maybe already but just you saying that helps me ground in, in that in the truth of that or at least in the truth of how that feels anyways for me yeah so, thank so you. many of my authors tell me that that's the thing that made the difference between finishing and not finishing when they knew that their book was already done mm-hmm And like, that sounds like bullshit, right? So I just, I'm coming back to, I'm a scientist, Mm -hmm. but like really the time-space continuum is bullshit. I can show you the research. (laughs) It's not there. Mm -hmm. We use it like we use gravity, but it's not really there. So I really do believe your book is done. Your project is done. And your job is just to remove any obstacles between you and seeing it and holding it and touching it. This has been Dark on the Page with author and writing coach Angela Loria. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was a little longer than usual, but I got to tell you, I just couldn't cut anything out. (laughs) I loved it so much. And so if you want to check out the links, I made links to all the stuff that we mentioned in the show. It's at darkenthepage.com slash 036. And and really check out the... um, creativity temple exercise it's wonderful and it's linked right on the website if you want to see another episode that i think you will love and i mentioned this episode in the beginning uh check out episode 11 with steve windsor steve is steve and angela are both binge writers and i think maybe after we do enough of these we'll have this our own category for for interviews with binge writers and i find them fascinating because they're kind of like superheroes in a way and so Check out episode 11, darkenthepage.com slash 011 is the way to get to that. As always, you can send me feedback, darkenthepage at gmail.com. Join us on Facebook. Uh, send me messages. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check out darkenthepage.com slash 99designs. That's my phone. And uh, check out our design contest. And if you want to do your own, the show will get some money. And that's a great way to support us. So until next week, go make great art.